morning. This morning, as Antonio mentioned earlier, we'll be continuing our passage or our series through Philippians. So if you turn with me there, today we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. So if you have your Bibles and can turn there, it's also in the worship guide. Philippians 4, 10 to 13. And if you would now stand with me as we read the words together. This is the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the blessing that we have, that we get to receive your word each Lord's Day. Encourage us in this walk of life, in the ups and downs, when, when we have need and when we have abundance. Encourage us that we might sit as students under the teacher of your word, the teacher of your gospel, to know how to be content, that we would learn to be content and to live in gratitude for what you have done for us. And may today you open our hearts by your Holy Spirit to feel the impact and to know this great gift of the gospel that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just this week, I was listening to an interview uh, with Johnny Erickson Tata. Now, you may know her. She's quite well known. Uh, but for those who don't, uh, at, the year, at the age of 17 years old, Johnny was paralyzed in a diving accident. She dove into the ocean where it was too shallow and uh, became paralyzed, uh, paraplegic. That was over 50 years ago now. Uh, since then, she's experienced a lifetime of knowing what it is to be brought low, a lifetime of knowing what it is to be in need, suffering need. Literally, she needs caretakers every single day of her life. Now, in the interview I was listening to, she was talking about how even still, uh, she will wake up in the mornings and say, God, I cannot do this. God, you are asking too much of me this time. I have no resources, there is no strength in me. And yet, as she says, she does find the strength. Somehow, she finds the strength not only to endure, but to be grateful and to be content in the Lord. After she shares in this interview about the cries of desperation that she has uh, regularly in the mornings, she says, nonetheless, I am the most grateful person you will meet. And you can tell, as you listen to her speaking, thankfulness pervades her speaking. Thankfulness and joy for the gifts of the Lord fill her speech. What a beautiful thing. And as we look at people around us who experience unbelievable hardships, or even as you endure the unendurable, do you ever wonder, what is the secret of contentment? How can I be content in this circumstance that I'm experiencing or circumstance that I see someone else experiencing? How can someone going through fill in the blank 
possibly be grateful to God? Now, I think that. There are times when I look at people and their circumstances, I put myself in their shoes, and I think, how? How is it that they are content and grateful? Do you ever think that as well? And this could be you, for we don't know what tomorrow will bring, what God will ordain, what hardships he will permit to happen in your life. Or perhaps you are in that season now, at your breaking point and beyond. How will you be content? Now, this passage that we're looking at today is not only for those who are undergoing hardship, those undergoing need. Paul also talks about being grateful to the Lord in times of abundance. And we must ask ourselves the question, are we uh, grateful and thankful to the Lord, content in what he's given, or are we only content because of the comfort and the health that we experience? Or are you discontent because you have much and you crave more? You want the newest, the best thing, the newest model, something more to satisfy your desire. Well, in either of these cases, we ask and we come to this passage wondering, well, what is contentment? In Philippians chapter 4.12 here, in our passage, Paul says he's been let in on the secret of contentment. You might even read that as uh, in religious terms, it, what it is, is that he's been initiated into the secret. He's been initiated into the secret of contentment. And we wonder then, well, what is this secret? And it is God's promise to strengthen you. He answers in verse 13. We will see in this passage that because God preserves you, you are able to experience all circumstances with contentment. Because God preserves you, you are able to experience all circumstances that life may bring with contentment. And we'll look at this in three points. Uh, God's care for you, worldly contentment, and then godly Christian contentment. God's care for you, worldly contentment, and Christian contentment. We'll look at it uh, now in the first point, God's care for you. Paul sets, uh, gets onto the topic of contentment, beginning with thanksgiving. He thanks the Lord for the care the Philippians have showed him. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Remember that at the time that Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he's in prison. He's in great need and dependence on the church to care for his needs, whether it be going to get the groceries, whether it's financial means, uh, and, and encouragement, just companionship, having people to be with him. And the Philippians had sent, uh, had sent Epaphroditus to assist and care for him. Uh, but it seems that there's been a spell where the Philippians have not been able to support him, whether financially or, or whatever it may be. But as Paul says, they have now given him the support. He has received support and encouragement from the Philippians uh, to help him in his basic needs, perhaps financially. They had been concerned for Paul, but for whatever reason, perhaps lack of resources, they were unable to actually express that concern for Paul. They had this, this desire to care, and they had this concern, but they had not been able to express it. And the word that Paul uses there for, translated as revived, is like a bud that is reblooming. 
The, the bud had been there, but it had not bloomed. It had not had opportunity to bloom. But now that the sunlight has come, they have resources. It blooms in their care, fully expresses itself to Paul, and he receives the blessing of their encouragement and, uh, and their, their um, financial support. Now, uh, you might expect an explicit thank you to the Philippians. Oh, I am so thankful to the Philippians greatly that at length you have revived your concern for me. And while it's certainly implied, notice that that's not the primary thrust here that Paul is giving. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. He directs his gratefulness to God. And this reveals something to us. Yes, as uh, James says, every good gift that we have comes down from the Lord, the Father of light. But uh, God, even more than that, gives specific promises to his people in the church. He promises to care for us. We see this in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that for those in the kingdom of God, God cares about and provides food, drink, and clothing, the basic essential needs for them to survive in this world. But how does he actually manifest this care to us? Is it some mystical mystical uh, care. Well, usually it's not. Usually God's care manifests itself in the church through his people. Officially, he does this through the diaconate, through the deacons, but also organically, this care flows from our interactions with one another by supporting one another, coming alongside one another. See, our Lord Jesus Christ cares so much for us as the Lord and Savior of his church who rules at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he has appointed from there elders, officials, to care for the basic needs of his flock, to minister to them. And the Holy Spirit has given each one of you gifts, gifts to serve one another, gifts to encourage and help the physical, earthly needs, spiritual needs, and emotional needs of one another, giving us a picture of the new creation to come when every tear will be wiped away. So, this is what Paul is receiving from the Philippians. He is receiving, as it were, from God, God's care, the care of Jesus Christ for him and for his church, extended through the arms of the Philippians' generosity. Now, what Paul says next may seem a little odd to you. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from need. Now, this may seem odd. It may seem like he's brushing off the generosity of the Philippians. It's almost like when you step in to open the door for someone and they say, I actually didn't need your help. I could have done it myself. That's, of course, a bit rude and a bit terse, but that's not at all the spirit of what Paul is saying here. He's actually saying something much more profound, something that we can take to heart. For he anticipates that his Philippian brothers and sisters may have been feeling burdened that they were not able to express their concern for him, that they could not help him. They may have been worried that their inability to help him had let him down, or perhaps that they had left him in a bind, left him in deep need that they could not meet. So Paul eases their burden with a statement that God provides for his people. His thankfulness is to the Lord because the Lord is the one who provides. And he does not speak from need because it is the Lord who provides. So thus he eases the burden of the Philippians, thanking them for their generosity, 
but also showing that it is the Lord that he is dependent on, not ultimately the Philippians. This is because God has taught him the secret of being content. He has sat under the Lord as a schoolmaster who has taught him how to be content. But before we look at the third point, talking about what this, this teacher of contentment is, let's look firstly at the second point, which is worldly contentment. What are some alternative teachers that we have in this world? Alternative teachers that teach us contentment, or at least promise contentment. We'll now look at that in worldly contentment. Well, today, contentment does not seem to be particularly highly valued. Even as we enter the Christmas season, media and advertisements shape our heart, shape the desires of our heart with discontentment. In the commercials, the car is being rolled out with a big red bow on it, saying, you need model 2024 to be happy. Do you want to be content this season? Give the gift of, of this car and also get yourself a gift. There's always that, that get yourself the car as well. If only you had the newest model, you would be happy. And the way the ads in the ethos manipulates discontentment even comes under the guise of gift giving, assuming that others are discontent and to make them happy, uh, to make your loved one truly happy and grateful, you really must give them this or that, and then they'll be truly happy. Not that giving gifts is a bad thing, not that owning possessions is a bad thing, but the whole ethos of our culture today is that you must satisfy your needs. Being content is even seen sometimes as a negative thing, because if you're content with life, that means you are fine with the status quo. You are settling. Many movies today, you can probably think of many, are about characters who want more from life. They're stuck in the same old, same old. They're not able to fully express themselves. And they're stuck in the status quo. They're cramped. And the only happy resolution for such a movie is for them to break free of their discontentment by satisfying all the desires of their heart. And when they have let it go and broken free, they then achieve true happiness and contentment. So what do we see here from this teacher of contentment? What is the solution to our discontentment according to this? Well, it's if the grass is greener on the other side, you must build bridges to get there. You must climb the walls to get there and satisfy your desires. You must achieve what you want. You must express yourself because it is not possible to be truly content if you do not satisfy what you desire, all the desires of your heart. This is the first teacher of false contentment, as we will see. And this is not something that is just in the world, out there. This is something that you and I are not immune to. For Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul continues in the chapter to say, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The same author, the Lord, and and Paul are speaking here in both places about contentment. And in this passage of Timothy, he's not telling you that being rich or having worldly wealth is evil. But he is saying that you should not crave riches. You should not assume that riches will be the satisfying factor of your discontentment. For riches are uncertain. If you think that you will achieve contentment and satisfaction in this world through your riches, you will not be faced with contentment. You will be faced with many pangs as if pierced because riches will fail. Everything that you desire in this world, if you set your heart on it, it will fail you and it will lead to discontentment. This is a false teacher this teacher of contentment, this worldly contentment. For what happens when you have a diving accident and you become stuck in a wheelchair for life? What happens when you simply can't achieve what you want? Will you be content then under this idea of contentment? This teacher cannot help you through suffering. It only says work harder, build the bridge to the greener side, Climb the wall, and if you can't, too bad. Well, the second teacher that many turn to, an alternative to this, is is Stoicism. Stoicism goes back to the ancient Greek philosophy, but it pervades all of our culture today. Uh, We see it in New Age beliefs and Buddhism. The idea of this is to detach yourself from the world. If you're discontent... It means there's nothing wrong with the world. You're not really suffering. You're not really in need. The problem is that you, you have this desire to be in need or this desire uh, to have and this desire to have a good life. And so the solution is just to detach by self-discipline, by working harder, train your mind not to want, train your mind to be fine with suffering. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. It's really nothing. If we can only force ourselves, if you can only force yourself to accept the world as it is, then you will not be discontented. Now, this may on the surface seem like a good idea, and certainly it, it, it has some good principles in the sense that you're not being overly attached to the world. And yet, the problem is that it does not hold up to suffering. For when you are truly suffering, when you truly experience need, hunger, thirst, we know that that is real and that that is not how it's supposed to be. So how do we find contentment in that? This can even appear in the guise of Christian teaching. Just, you know, listen to God's truth a little harder. Just believe that God will work things for your good. These are true things, but sometimes the ethos when we have a brother or sister in need can be that you just need to work harder. You just need to detach and hold to the promises of God. 
when the focus really should be, listen, cry out to the Lord and hear the promises of God for you. The problem with these worldly schools, these worldly teachers of contentment, is that they teach you that you must gain contentment by your own power. The first teacher tells you that you must achieve and get what you desire to be content. You must achieve. You must get. The second teacher tells you that you must strengthen your mind. You must detach yourself. You must ignore your desires. You must endure by sheer grit. But how quickly does suffering capsize these ships? And it's not just suffering a hardship, for even when you do get, when you do achieve, when you get wealth, when you achieve health, and you have a contented, or a what should be a contented life of ease, you'll find that contentment is not found there. You will always want more. You, there will always be something missing. You will find that contentment is unattainable and rocky at the very best. So what is a proper teacher of contentment? What is the one way to be content? For Paul uh, gets into this. What is the contentment that Paul has learned? Well, contentment is being grateful for what you have. But what if you don't have anything, at least in the earthly sense? Paul says, if you trust in Jesus, you have Christ. And that brings us to the third point, Christian contentment, godly Christian contentment. And as we look at Paul, as we hear the words of Paul speaking to us that he has been content in every circumstance, this is not, this is not coming from someone who lived in a life of ease, who could just brush it off and say, oh, you know, you people who are going through difficult things, just be content. No, Paul knows what it was like to experience the lowest lows and the highest highs. He experienced, well, more so the lowest lows. <laughs> he experienced, even as we're writing or reading this letter, as he was writing, he was experiencing imprisonment for the gospel. He experienced numerous beatings for his faith as he was moving from city to city sharing the gospel. He experienced shipwreck and hunger on a deserted island. Talk about being in need in the earthly sense. And he was totally dependent on the church in his ministry. Paul was qualified to speak on this in an earthly sense. He was qualified. He had, he has been there. He had experienced all of these things. And yet he says... I have learned to be content in all of this. And he means this genuinely. He says, I've been initiated into the secret. And the source of that secret, in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse gets thrown around quite a lot in, in Christian circles. And even in our context, uh, I see it on Instagram all the time. I follow different athletes on Instagram and a lot of times you see there's the video of the training montage. They're, you know, doing their ropes and their lifts and, and hashtag at the bottom, it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the next is hashtag gold medal. Olympics, next Olympics. Or seen some post from an athlete or a team that has had a poor performance 
and they say, I'm gonna bounce back and get through this because I'm gonna bounce back and I'm gonna win the next one through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is not exactly what this verse is saying. In fact, it's, it's really not at all the ethos, the, the, the spirit of what this verse is saying. Not that we don't hold to that. In, in, as Paul says, in victory and in defeat, we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is a beautiful verse for that. But it often is used to mean something it is not. Some have taken it to say, claim this promise for yourself and find success in life. Often Christians have used this verse to say that God will give them the strength to accomplish their goals. As if God is promising that he will fulfill your desires, your earthly desires, in reward for your hard work. If I just train hard enough and trust God, he's going to give me that gold medal. If I just work hard enough at my business and trust God, then he's going to give me the strength that I'm going to bring this business to a Fortune 500 company. The problem is if we look at the context here, this is the opposite of what Paul is saying. The point of this verse is not what you can accomplish. It's not about all the desires and goals that you can accomplish. If it were, this verse would be more in line with the first worldly teacher of discontentment, that you must satisfy your desires to have true contentment, all of your desires, earthly desires. This interpretation also puts pressure on you to do what you cannot. For what, does ha- what happens when you simply can't? When, as Johnny had said, I just can't, I can't anymore. Instead, this promise that God will, this promise is that God will give you strength to endure the hardships and the times of lack and want. He will give you strength to endure. And he will give you the strength to endure the blessings that come in such a way that you do not lose Christ. He will give you the strength to enjoy the gifts that he has given without forgetting and finding your ultimate contentment in the gift giver. The point of this passage is contentment and gratitude within your circumstances. Often it is used to foster discontent, that you didn't perform like you didn't want to. You didn't get what you thought you needed, but you will get it because you can do it through Christ. But this promise, it's much more precious than that. This promise is for the person who cannot do anything. It is for the paraplegic. It is for the hungry and the homeless. It's for the sick and the weary. It is for the heartbroken who say, I cannot go on. And God says, I know, but yes, you can. I will hold you hand, your hand. In Psalm 23, I will be your shepherd and you will not want. In the deepest sense, you will not want. You will have no lack because I am strengthening you. Paul uses religious, the cultic language for this. I've been initiated into the secret. And what is that secret? How, how is he able to have this? Where does the strength, where is the source of this godly strength come from? What is the good news of salvation? Christ endured the greatest lack that anyone can experience. Christ endured the lack, the absence of, the removal of God's presence on the cross 
He experienced the lowest of low. He was brought low to the very depths of hell's judgment. He did this so that you could experience the abundant and endless love of God for all eternity in the new creation where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain, there will be no more lack of clothing, of food, drink, but there will be an abundance. But more than that, you will be in eternity in the presence of God. This is what the author of Hebrews speaks about in 13. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We may even say, what can hunger do to me? What can lack of clothing do to me? What can this world and all the needs do to me in light of the fact that God is with me? Even as we sang just at the beginning, O come, O come, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you. And so keep your free, keep your life free from love of money. Keep your life free of seeking contentment in other things because you have the Lord with you. He will not forsake you because he forsook Christ on the cross instead. If you are not content with this, what will you be content with? If you are not finding contentment in your life, why not look for it in Christ? Christ who satisfied all the demands of God perfectly so that you could be satisfied in him perfectly and eternally. So trust him. Do not go about in your own strength seeking contentment. Hold on to the eternal inheritance that is yours already if you trust in him. And what is the result of this contentment? Well, it's generosity bringing us back full circle to the beginning of this passage where the Philippians showed their generosity to Paul. The result of our contentment in Christ is that we do not cling to our worldly possessions, but we give freely to those in need. Christian contentment is gratitude to God for what he has done and continues to do for you, which spills over into gift giving to others. Through this, God gives us a foretaste of the new creation. He gives you and I a taste of when there will be no more tears, when there will be no more need, but there will be abundance in him. And Christ extends this kingly love to you and I from the very throne room of heaven through his church. As we said earlier, he has given the church deacons, officers, that the earthly needs of his members are tended to so that no earthly need need be a stumbling block to contentment in Christ. He removes the stumbling blocks through the diaconate in the care of the church of hunger, thirst, need of clothing, so that you might greater apprehend in your weakness, you might greater take hold of contentment in Christ. So when you do have need, when you find yourself in need, come to the deacons, come to the leadership in the church, go to one another. These are the expression of God's care for you, his promise to care for your every need. So then, what are we to do? Well, we are to live gratefully and generously. Johnny, going back to her interview, said, how early on in her paraplegia, she could not find 
the strength to be thankful for what God had allowed her to go through. The turning point for her was when she began to thank God for the good things he had given her. She says, I forced my mouth to give thanks to God until the Lord changed my heart. I cried out, asking the Lord to help me, to give me a thankful heart. And until then, and since then, she gives thanks for the little things. As simple as being thankful, she says, for the hospital bed being near the window so that she could see the sun. Being thankful that eventually she was able to be sat upright in her wheelchair. She learned how to be content. And she didn't learn by looking within herself, by achieving and gaining what she desired. She couldn't. She couldn't walk. She couldn't get what she desired. Nor did she do it by detaching and say, this suffering is nothing. It's a figment of my imagination. I'm going to detach. No, she sat under the teacher of Christ. She sat at his feet and learned all the more deeply the gospel as her teacher. This side of eternity, you will always fight discontentment. You will have to always struggle to be content and to be grateful for the Lord. You fight your sinful tendency to replace the Lord with idols, to value and find contentment in the gifts and forget the gift giver. But even in these times, know that God cares for you. Not only does he care about your earthly needs, he cares about your soul. When you become discouraged, even at your lack of contentment, be content simply to cry for help saying, God, I cannot do this. I just can't. I am discontented with life. Be content simply to try, cry for help and trust in Christ. Not to do, 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 but to trust for his burden is light. And you may find yourself either now or in the future in a situation you thought impossible to handle. And you are right. You cannot handle it. Not on your own. Not on your own strength. But by his strength, God promises to preserve you. Christ has purchased an inheritance for you in a place where moth and rust cannot eat away. Even though your body wastes away here. You have an inheritance and he has restored a relationship with God so that he will never forsake you. So sit under these promises. Learn from them as Paul has done. As believers since the dawn of the church have done. Sit under the tutelage of the gospel which teaches you to be content. And it tells you, listen, don't do. Listen and trust and cry for help and the Lord will strengthen you. And you will be able to endure and enjoy all things through him until Christ returns to bring you home into the inheritance. Amen. Let's pray. And dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us the secret of contentment. Thank you that unlike the rest of the world, which has no, no way to be content ultimately, you have given us your son, Jesus Christ to remove the barrier, to remove the barrier between us and you, Lord, to defeat the sin and death that had us, had us bound. Lord, may you impress upon us 
the need to trust in you, that we do not do this in our own strength, that we do not aim in this life to achieve all of our desires, but instead we make our desire you, and that we be grateful for the gift that you have given us, the gift of your presence. So be with us now and teach us evermore to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.